Good evening. Um, let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 71. Psalm 71. And just before we read the text for tonight, uh, we're going to uh, pray and ask uh, God's blessing upon what we're going to be reading and considering. So let's bow in prayer. Lord God, as we come before you now, Father, we come with uh, open hearts and, and attentive hearts as the God of the universe desires to speak to our hearts. And so, Lord, may we receive your word with meekness, with the desire to act upon what we hear. And so thank you, Lord, for visiting with us tonight. And thank you for speaking to us through your word. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 71. Uh, I don't know if the, um, their sermon notes, are the ushers still here? Um, I don't see them. <laughs> All right, hopefully you got some on the way in. Um, uh, do we have sermon notes to give out? Okay, so here we go. Um, if, if you didn't receive the sermon notes on the way in, here come the ushers, and uh, they're distributing those, so you can uh, eventually uh, fill those out as we go along. Psalm 71, we don't know who the author is of this particular uh, psalm. Uh, all we do know is that it's, uh, it's an elderly believer, as we're going to see in a moment in the text that we read. Uh, possibly David, um, the Psalm that precedes, or Psalm 70 anyway, yes, was written by David, and Psalm 72 was written by David, so it's very possible this psalm was written by David, but it's not identified. But we know it's an elderly believer who was led of God to share with us his heartfelt prayer to God. And it's more than a prayer, it's, it's also at the same time a, an appeal and a, and a testimony. And um, so we're going to look at just a portion of the psalm tonight. Um, specifically verse 15, although for right now we're going to go ahead and read verses 15 to 18, all right? So if you're in Psalm 71, we're going to read verses 15 to 18, and then tonight we'll be focusing especially on verse 15. Verse 15, my mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have shown thy strength unto this generation, and thy power to everyone that is to come. We all are familiar with the story about the Titanic, um, that ill-fated British passenger liner that struck an iceberg off of New Finland on a calm night of April 1912 and consequently sank. But there's another part to the story that is not widely known. One of the passengers on the Titanic was a godly pastor and evangelist from Scotland by the name of John Harper. John Harper had been invited 
to lead some revival meetings at Moody Church in Chicago. And so it was that John Harper, who was a widower, along with his sister and his six-year-old daughter, found themselves taking passage on this great ship, the Titanic. The Titanic struck uh, an iceberg at 11.40 p.m. Survivors later reported that as the Titanic began to sink, John Harper was admonishing people to be prepared to die. After making sure that his sister and his daughter were safely in a lifeboat, he continued to share the gospel with whoever would listen. He even removed his life jacket and gave it to someone else, saying that they needed it more than he did. As the ship began to lurch, he finally jumped into the icy waters. And a short while later, taken over by hypothermia, John Harper sank beneath the waters and passed into the Lord's presence at the age of 39. But the story doesn't end there. Only seven people were plucked from the icy waters that night to join the survivors who were in the lifeboats. One of them was a young Scotsman by the name of Aguila Webb. Aguila Webb later wrote a gospel tract entitled, I Was John Harper's Last Convert, in which he shares stunning details of the final minutes of John Harper's life. This is what he wrote. I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a spar that awful night, the waves brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow, on a, also on a piece of wreck, near to me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, said I, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away, but a short time later brought him back near to me again. And again he said, sir, are you saved now? I replied, no, I cannot say for sure that I am. Again he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after that, he went down. And there, alone in the night, with two miles of water beneath me, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I am John Harper's last convert. Wow. <clears throat> Hard to imagine, isn't it? Hard to imagine any of us in that situation having the presence of mind to reach out to others and to share the gospel in that desperate situation. But what a striking example of someone who understood the wonderful privilege as well as the awesome responsibility of being an ambassador for Christ. Every day and in every situation. John Harper understood that and the psalmist understood that as well. And so in verse 15, the psalmist says, My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. Dear friends, we have the privilege of being God's mouthpiece, God's ambassador. And so tonight I'd like to consider three parts of this particular text, verse 15, as it relates to us being God's mouthpiece what that entails, what that looks like. 
how that should be lived out in our lives. So first of all, first part is the means to be used. The means to be used. God ordained the means that he wants for his wonderful message of salvation to be shared, and that means is our mouths. The psalmist says, my mouth shall show forth, shall declare, shall tell thy righteousness and thy salvation. But if our mouth is going to be used of God, if we are going to truly be God's mouthpiece, there are two steps involved here. First, there needs to be the submission of our mouths. We need to be willing to submit our mouths to God. My message tonight really does dovetail quite nicely with what Pastor Art shared this morning. This morning he talked about being willing to be used of God, to serve God. And here's the first step, being willing to yield our mouths to God. In verse 8, in fact, of Psalm 71, we see a prayer request made by the psalmist to that end. He says, let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. And so the psalmist understood that as in all areas of our lives, we need to yield our members to God as instruments of righteousness, including our mouth. In fact, we need to be convinced that it is necessary to consecrate our mouth to the Lord. As God's ambassadors, it's not enough to simply live a godly life. Our lifestyle, our example, is not enough to fulfill our role as God's chosen witnesses. We need to consecrate our mouth to God's service as well. We need to be willing to speak for God. Hearing again these testimonies this morning, what a, what a blessing to hear these college students who on the campus were actively sharing their faith, and through that, this dear couple came to know the Lord. They had yielded their mouths. They were willing to speak for God. Imagine, imagine an ambassador of the United States who has been placed in a foreign country, and he receives a message from our president that America is declaring war on that ambassador's host country. But the ambassador says nothing to the president of that other country. Instead, he simply goes about living his life as usual. Well, when the first attack is made, the president of that country calls in the ambassador and says, why did you not inform us of your country's intentions? To which the ambassador replies, well, I, I thought you would figure it out by observing my lifestyle. That's the duty of ambassador, to relate the message that he's received from his superior. And that is what God has called us to do, to relate his message of salvation. And it can't happen just by living a good life, although we need to do that. Now, of course, it's much easier to not speak. It's a whole lot easier to not feel compelled to tell others about Christ. But that is not our decision to make. God has already chosen us as his children to speak for him, to tell others of his righteousness and of his salvation. And so there needs to be the submission of our mouths, but secondly, there needs to be the filling of our mouths. And this must be a daily filling. The text says very clearly, my mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, 
all day long and every day, a daily filling of our mouths. Each day we have opportunities to be witnesses for God. And so each day we need to rededicate the youths of our mouths for him. In fact, verse 8 would make a, a wonderful daily prayer for each and every one of us. It would be excellent to start every day with this particular phrase in verse 8. Let my mouth, O Lord, be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all this day. And then again tomorrow. And again the next day. It must be a daily filling and it must be a proper filling. That is, it's not enough to simply not say the wrong thing. It's not enough to simply stop saying bad things. But rather, we should seek to always and only say things which honor God. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. That means speaking God's truth and love. It means speaking kind words of encouragement to others. Giving praise to God and above all, sharing the glorious message of the gospel at each and every opportunity. So, all right, not sure who else is preaching here tonight, but <laughs> if he's any better than me, just listen to him, okay? <laughs> so, that leads us to the second part, all right? So, the first part is the method to be used. It's not complicated. It's our mouth, and we need to be willing to submit our mouths, yield our mouths to God. The second part, then, is the message to be given, and the text tells us what that message is. He says, my mouth will declare thy righteousness and thy salvation. Two particular topics, two particular subjects that we should focus on as we talk about God throughout the day. First of all, God's righteousness. We should freely speak of God's righteous acts and of his righteousness. Notice what it says in verse 16. As the text goes on, the psalmist says, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. You know, most of the time, quite frankly, we speak way too much about ourselves and not nearly enough about our Lord. The psalmist says, I want your righteousness to be on my lips. I want your righteousness to be the topic of my conversation throughout the day. Now, God's righteousness here refers to his righteous character. It refers to the equity of his dealings with man, to his righteous laws, his righteous promises, his righteous judgments. And then, of course, to the glorious righteousness of Christ, which God provides to all who trust in him. And it's God's righteousness which imparts power to the message. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine own. That's where the power comes from. As we talk about God and his righteousness, not about ourselves, not even about our church. And it's not a bad thing to talk about our church or invite people to church. But that's not, that shouldn't be the focus of our message. Now this is key because it's only as people understand the righteousness of God, who He is, His righteous laws, His righteous judgments. It's only as people come to face with that that they will then see their own sin clearly as well as their need to receive Christ's righteousness. 
I remember uh, several years back, I was doing a Bible study with a couple here in Lebanon. They weren't saved. And um, we were dealing with the uh, question of God's righteous standards. And uh, initially, they didn't necessarily see themselves as, as sinners, or at least as not as bad sinners, you know. And uh, we started going through some of the verses talking about God's righteous character and his, his righteous standards. And, and then we end up reading James 2.10, where it says, even if man shall keep the whole law, but offend in one point, he's guilty of all. And I remember the, this couple read that verse, and they just paused for a minute, and just very spontaneously, just, they spoke out, and they said, then we're doomed. And I said, yes, that's it. That's exactly it. Again, like the message this morning, when Peter realized the righteous, divine character of Jesus Christ, what was his response? Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. So people need to understand God's righteousness. And only then will they understand and appreciate God's salvation. That's the second subject, the second part of our message. God's salvation. The psalmist says, my mouth will declare thy righteousness and thy salvation. Job, in chapter 25, asked the question, how then can man be justified with God? If indeed we're doomed because of our sin... How can, we be just, how can we be justified before a righteous God? Well, the wonderful truth is that we know the answer to that question. I mean, hallelujah, right? <laughs> we know the answer to that question. And so, through the salvation that God freely offers to all who repent and believe, they can be justified, made right before God. And thankfully, we don't need a vast knowledge of the Bible to share that truth with people. John Harper, as he's in the icy waters of the Atlantic, quoted Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. My older brother who led me to the Lord, John 3.16, he explained that verse and it was clear as day, my need of salvation. There are other verses, of course, throughout the Bible that just kind of summarize the text, the, the, the message of the gospel. It doesn't take a vast knowledge, but to share some, some key texts with folks that they might understand what Christ has done for them. And so, if we have personally received God's wonderful gift of salvation, and since we have such amazing news to share with those who are perishing all around us, why don't we share it more often? Why is Psalm 71.15 not always true in our life? This text doesn't supply the answer, but other verses do, and we're just going to take a moment to look at them real quick. The first reason why we don't declare God's righteousness and God's salvation all day, every day, is first of all because of pride. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Verses 42 and 43. Very striking, troubling statement that's made. John 12, verses 42, 43. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Why? Verse 43, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. 
And how true that is of us so often is that we don't speak forth God's righteousness and God's salvation because we prefer the praise of men over the praise of God. Pride is one reason that keeps us from sharing this, this wonderful message as we ought. The second reason is fear. Turn to Isaiah chapter 51, if you will. Isaiah 51. And notice what the prophet says here. Isaiah 51, verses 7 and 8. Well, it's the Lord speaking, but the prophet who's speaking for him. Isaiah 51, verse 7. As God says, Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. And you know we all wrestle with that fear of men's reactions or even men's rejection of our message and of us. And God reminds us here. He says, listen, those who reject his message will, they'll perish. But his righteousness and salvation will stand forever. He says, don't fear them. So what can motivate us? These, these are two very real, very powerful obstacles. It doesn't matter how long you're a Christian or how long you've been in the ministry. These two obstacles raise their ugly heads continually. And so how can we overcome these obstacles to accomplish what the psalmist says here in Psalm 71:15? That brings us to the third part of the text, the motivation that should compel us, which is found in the last phrase. It says, for I know not the numbers thereof. I believe there are two possible ways to understand this last phrase, for I know not the numbers thereof. And perhaps even both meanings are intended. The first way to understand this phrase is as referring to the righteous acts of God. That is, the number of his righteous acts. I don't know the number. I can't count the number of his righteous acts. And there are many different translations of the Bible that kind of render it that way. The idea is this. As we consider, as we meditate on the wonderful, righteous acts of God, that should stir us up to speak of them and to make them known to others. In fact, when we focus on God's multifaceted acts of righteousness, how can we not speak of them? And in favor of this particular understanding of that phrase is a certain play on words in the Hebrew text, which could be paraphrased in this way in English. If I, if I translated the verse this way, verse 15, my mouth will recount your righteous deeds and your salvation, for I do not know the count of them. That kind of, kind of reflects the, the play on words in Hebrew that is here that supports the idea it's referring to the number of righteous acts of God. But there's another possible understanding, and that is that this phrase is referring to the number of our days. I will speak of thy righteousness, thy salvation all the day, for I know not the number of days thereof. That is, we don't know how many days are left. We don't know how many days are left for others to begin with. That is, we, we shouldn't presume 
that we will have another opportunity to talk to this person or that. I know there's been way too many times in my life where I missed an opportunity that was clearly there before me where I could have and should have shared God's truth, and I didn't. And afterwards felt very bad for that. And if I asked to raise their hands, I'm sure everybody, probably many, would be able to say the same thing. The text says that, look at verse 16 again, he says, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. It's always our responsibility to go to the lost. It's always our responsibility to take that initial step and to speak out for him. But it also refers perhaps to the fact that we don't know how many days are left for ourselves. And I believe in support of that understanding is the following verses, 17 and 18, where in verse 17 it refers to young people who don't know how many days they may have to share God's righteousness and salvation. Notice what it says in verse 17, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. And so the psalmist says that from his youth, he, has sought, he sought to share this message faithfully, day after day. And you know, and praise God for young people in this church who already actively share their faith. Praise God for that. And then verse 18 flips it over and looks at those who maybe think they're too old to witness. And verse 18 then goes on and says, But now that I'm old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have shown thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. And so we don't know how many days that we have as a youth or as an old person. And so God says, we need to buy up every one of them. We don't know the numbers of them. And so every day, all day, we need to be seeking opportunities to speak for our Lord. We had a young person in our church in France. I shared her testimony with some of you already. And her name was Emmanuel. Emmanuel uh, got saved when she was 11 or 12. She came out to a youth activity and uh, heard the message of salvation and received Christ. Her family was not saved, and to this day, to my knowledge, is not saved. But Immediately, Emmanuel uh, desired to, serve, to, sit, to follow the Lord, and so she started coming to church faithfully, even as a 12-year-old, without her family. She'd come to church faithfully, uh, take the bus if she needed to, or we'd pick her up. Um, she started reading her Bible. Uh, she had a real burden for the lost. And so as she grew through her teen years, um, her just had a wonderful testimony, just a very sweet disposition, just a lovely young Christian lady. When she turned 17, her family um, left for a, a summer vacation, and as they were traveling during the night, her father fell asleep at the wheel and lost control of the car and went off the highway and rolled over several times, and Emmanuel was killed in the crash. The rest of her family survived with just minor injuries. It was uh, devastating both to her family and uh, to our church. 
But um, the family, as they prepared to return from that, that vacation spot to come back home, uh, they were gathering up her, her belongings and things, and when they opened her suitcase, they found her Bible. And it wasn't surprising that Emmanuel would be taking her Bible on vacation to read it even throughout vacation. But even more surprising than that was when they opened her Bible, they found a letter, handwritten letter from Emmanuel. And this is what the letter says. I, I have a copy of that letter. This is what it says. Dear family, dear friends, dear everyone, if you are reading this letter, it is because I am dead. I could not know the day of my death, but I knew that I would die one day. Cry, but do not be sad for me. I have died without fear and with the full assurance that I would go to heaven. And then in the letter, she goes on to share the message of the gospel, a very clear, very excellent presentation of the gospel message. And she follows up with this. If you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior, this decision is before you. Do not put it off until tomorrow. Tomorrow may be too late. My words are inadequate, but God's words are not. I encourage you to read through the entire Bible, starting with the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, I'll leave you mine, which is rarely far from me. I have prayed for you all until the day of my death. I love you, Emmanuel. 17-year-old. The letter wasn't dated. We don't know. Nobody knows when she wrote it or how God moved her to write such a letter. Except that she had taken to heart the same thing as the psalmist did. Lord, may my mouth shall show forth your righteousness and your salvation because I don't know the number of days that I have. And so even in death, she wanted that message of salvation still to be heard. And I don't know how many people in her family and among her friends ended up reading that letter. What a striking example of someone who was conscious of their testimony as an ambassador for Christ and who did not want to miss a single opportunity. John Harper, Emmanuel, the psalmist, in this text. What about you? Is that your heart's desire? Are you willing to pray as the psalmist does here in verse 8 and say, Lord, let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day that I may declare your righteousness and your salvation?